Welcome to EdTech Examine, a series about educational technology and what you need to know. I'm Chris Hans. And I'm Eric Christensen. This is Episode 6, Digital Survival Kit. Today we're interviewing Mohamed Kayani uh, with the Haskane School of Business at the University of Calgary. So we'll just start off, uh, Mohamed, again, thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to meet with Eric and I. Uh, but if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. For sure. Um, I'm a, an entrepreneurship and strategy professor at the Haskane School of Business, University of Calgary. Um, I teach courses in entrepreneurship, sometimes strategy, um, and particularly uh the recent courses that uh, I've been working on with, with your help, Chris, uh, at the University of Calgary involve a particular focus on the technological tools used by entrepreneurs. I'm very excited about those courses because I think we're doing something unique that not a lot of other universities are doing in the entrepreneurship space. I don't see much uh, learning content in um, courses around startup stacks and the technological tools that entrepreneurs use. So I feel like uh, it's it's pretty unique internationally and uh, uh, it's very exciting. Yeah, even to my knowledge, it's uh, the only course that you know of in the world on, on uh, technology that focuses on empowering the entrepreneur. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll see how much longer we'll be the only one before other people start doing similar things. Yeah, for sure. So uh, what got you interested in education technology? Um, I guess my general interest in technology, uh, always while trying to look at all the tools that help you do something easier and faster and better and cheaper, um, got me into this as well because I teach entrepreneurship. So I always look for tools for entrepreneurs. And I do teaching and do education myself. So I always look for uh, the tools to help me support uh, education as well. Uh, I always like to have um, an eye on the landscape of technology and how things are changing. Um, and sometimes it's not just a matter of finding tools to support what you ex- currently do. Sometimes if you, fi- if you fail to keep track of the technology, the landscape just shifts under your feet. In a few years, everyone will be doing something differently and you just haven't kept up. So sometimes it's a matter of survival, uh, just uh, keeping up with the latest technology. So yeah, I, I try to keep an eye on technology in the education space as well. So if um, there's a trend toward everybody doing something different in the, te- in the education space because of some recent um, technologies that are becoming available, I want to make sure that I'm uh, knowledgeable about it and in the loop. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, I, uh, I remember that when you first started into this, I mean, uh, and maybe this was even the precursor to your course that you, you developed, but you developed this extensive list of entrepreneur tools, which you've compiled on Zeef. And for the audience members, if they're not familiar with that, it's a curated directory platform. Uh, would you be able to talk a little bit about what inspired you to curate this list and how this list has been helpful to your students and colleagues? Um, yeah, I guess uh, over the years, as I was, um, maybe it's, it was already three years that I was teaching entrepreneurship courses at the University of Calgary, I had just put together notes on different software tools that I read about or heard about in various places um, because I thought they would be useful to my entrepreneurship students. So that list of notes kept get, getting longer and longer and longer. And I realized I need some better way to um, organize this list and to manage it and to publish it for my students. And I, I completely thought of it just as a tool for my own students, but I just used the publicly available tool to organize that list and put it online. Um, and so I went into class, I think it was the winter of um, 2016, 
went into class and told my students that, hey, these tools that I've been uh, talking to my students for the past three years and keeping notes about, I've actually finally published them all in one neat organized directory online. Uh, you can go see it. So my, my students kind of liked it, but um, yeah, I, I had maybe like 40 students in that class. And so I had, I had maybe 40 or so like around that number of clicks uh, on, on the website. Uh, but just uh, one night uh, I, I, I slept with that in mind and woke up to see the page had thousands and thousands of clicks suddenly. And I had lots of emails from people saying, why is our company not included in your list and interest in being included on the li in that list? And then I, I, I thought, well, what has happened? I, I was just <laughs> using this as a tool for my own students. And so what I, I realized was without me knowing, someone had posted um, the link to my directory on Product Hunt. And Product Hunt is actually, it's a pretty big deal for startups uh, who want to get a new product recognized um, out there. So I didn't really think of this as a new product that I had made. I, it was just a list, really. But I guess other people didn't see it that way. And the, the startup community on Product Hunt really liked it. And it, it reached more than uh, 1,500 uh, upvotes on Product Hunt eventually, which I, I later learned that's uh, pretty hard to achieve for a lot of startups. So I was glad to get that recognition from uh, the product hunt community. And through that, uh, that my list got recognition in the startup communities throughout the world uh, and as uh, being used by uh, entrepreneurship educators and incubators uh, and various accelerator programs um, around the world. And, and I'm happy. Uh, it wasn't the first list of its kind. Uh, there were other lists. But uh, I guess this was formatted a bit differently, looked a bit different because you could see a lot of tools in one look at the page. So people really liked it that way. And, and, and another thing with these lists is every once in a while someone creates one, but it, it gets outdated pretty soon because a whole bunch of new tools come in. So having the mechanism in place to make sure that the curation is up to date um, makes it important, a, a big value added when you, when you have, when you're publishing this kind of list. So I think, uh, my list was pretty well curated at the time that it was published compared to some of the other lists that maybe had gone a bit outdated. Um, and I, it's been a struggle trying to keep it updated, uh, over, over the years. Uh, and I do my best, but it, it is pretty time consuming. I think right now I have uh, maybe a hundred or more tool suggestions have been submitted by various users of that website. Um, and I have to go through them and curate them, make sure they all fit and to put them in the right category. Um, so that, that list has been really helpful for entrepreneurs. Um, I don't know if it's been, it, I guess there are things in that list that are also useful for educators. Uh, and entrepreneurial educators, I suppose. Um, but it's not particularly geared, geared towards teachers and educators. Um, and I have another, uh, page for, uh, that I'm setting up called Scholar Tools that I hope will, uh, include, um, a good list of teaching and education tools as well. Um, because, uh, there's just, there's just a lot of different technological tools around that space as well. And other people have um, worked on creating those lists uh, for educators and um, teachers. Um, and, and I hope to benefit from some of the work that's been done before and just organize it a bit differently with my own uh, thought process. It's interesting, Mohammed. when I first saw your list, I immediately thought of uh, Malcolm Gladwell's book, The Tipping Point, when I had heard about it gone viral, because that, that book talks about virality and how things happen. But it also reminded me of an, on a kind of an aside, an interesting thing that I've talked about with students. I'm sure you probably come across this too. I, as a, as a librarian, I'm often 
kind of mentoring students on how to stay focused and focused on their class objectives and getting things done. But I know that students are very curious. Lots of things are coming into their mind. And your tool list strikes me as a really great example of uh, capture and curate, which is something that uh, the academic Cal Newport talks about, the idea of getting ideas out of your mind and putting them somewhere because you think they have a future utility. And in this case, it, it had a huge future utility. Is that, I, I, this is not necessarily a technical question, but I'm curious, is that a strategy that you use for a lot of things? Because I've had this question from a lot of students before. How do you get ideas down? How do you organize? And is there is there a way or a, a place where you typically kind of get things out of your mind that come up so you can focus on, say, a project that you're working on, but then save them for later? Oh, most definitely. This is a strategy that's used in every project I do. Uh, it's uh, something interesting I heard from a senior scholar who was uh, helping, like he was teaching a workshop on how to write good academic papers. And an interesting thing that he said was, uh, you never start writing a paper on a blank piece of paper. Like you don't just put a blank piece of a paper in front of you and start writing. You always start writing when you have already collected enough material uh, to put together ideas, and then you start writing. Uh, and that's the case for every kind of project. Whatever new project I work on, uh, the first thing I create is not a Word document, if, if the final deliverable is document. It's not a Word document, the first thing I create. The first thing I create is... Uh, a note-taking environment, like uh, in Evernote or OneNote, um, plus a um, a folder uh, for usually shared folder because I'm working with other people. Um, but those are the first things I create, and then I go out uh, searching and and just collecting. And I'm I'm a very hungry collector for every project I work on. I, like any kind of, if, if I'm working on a paper, for example, related to, um, uh, to the design of markets, because I've been doing that recently, uh, working on how companies design marketplaces. Um, I will go and collect everything from how people have talked about, uh, anything that seems related to people talk about designing cities, these, designing economies of, uh, and uh, how to structure a country's economy, everything that might be related to designing a marketplace by a company. I will go and uh, collect material and put together um, resources, then go through the material I collected, take notes. Uh, and, and that's also how uh, the project with uh, curating tools happened as well. It, it was just a list of notes that I was collecting from various sources. Uh, ultimately, the list got long enough that I looked at it and I started organizing it into different categories. Um, and then I, I published it. But uh, in, in that case, the list of tools, the publication of an organized curated list itself was the deliverable but in a lot of other cases that is just the next step towards creating something um, once you have things collected organized and you get a good picture of the broad landscape of what you're looking at in your mind um, you're at a really good stage then to create not a lot of people are in that same mental space. When, when you reach the, that mental space where you have that big picture in your mind, it is, especially if you're younger, <laughs> I, I think I thought this a lot when I was younger, when I reached a mental image of the, of the big picture of a landscape in any particular topic area, I always thought that everybody already knows this and I'm the one that's new to it. I'm the one that's new to this landscape. So I just, okay, so I finally figured out what everybody already knows. But more and more as, I, as I'm getting older, I realize that when I put into work to really understand the landscape by collecting lots of material on it and curating it and organizing it, um, I more and more realize that not everybody has done this work and not everyone has this mental image that I've achieved 
it was hard work. Um, and I now have something pretty unique with this landscape that I have in my mind. And so that puts me in a good position to create something unique um, that not a lot of other people are able to create. Yeah, I think that's an incredibly insightful description. And I, I, I appreciate that because I think it highlights um, kind of the, the, the importance of interest, organization, and kind of faith that something will come from it and that you'll be able to do something creative. And I, I appreciate you highlighting that for us because I think that's something that perhaps, like you said, people don't realize that that collection of understanding the landscape is so important to being able to make an inference or a contribution to that field, right? Mm-hmm. You know, on that note, um, one thing that I, I really commend you on, and maybe it's because you were on sabbatical this year, but with the the whole switch to remote emergency remote delivery, uh, you were probably the first that I came across where you actually went and on Medium, you actually blogged about the essential working uh, tools and home gadgets, uh, and especially for educators. And we'll link those for uh, in the actual show notes. Uh, but could you highlight from um, that uh, blog post that you did what you consider to be the most essential gadget for educators working from home? Uh, for sure. Yeah, I, I got uh, into quickly writing a couple of pieces because I, I saw the, uh, a lot of panic among my colleagues, people not knowing what to do, uh, people not being very comfortable with technology or being used to other people handling, handling the technology for them. Um, uh, but it, it, it's not that complicated. A few tools, a few good software tools. And, and then the university has shown itself to be pretty resilient. They put a lot of resources, a lot of support into um, helping instructors take their classes online. Um, and the whole situation doesn't seem as panicky now as it was uh, back in, uh, I believe I published these in March. Um, but I, I, yeah, at the time, I just wanted to give a brief introduction um, to help people set up a workstation at home, uh, take things online. Um, I think one one of the things that for me uh, was pretty new, uh, and I think a lot of people still don't know, because for many many years we've been in it, used to just buying one router and putting it in our home, and that's how we have Wi-Fi. Uh, and so a lot of us don't know the recent trend that um, basically you can create Wi-Fi mesh networks in your home uh, with different nodes, uh, and it really improves the quality uh, of the Wi-Fi connection in your home. Um, so I, because I'm pretty uh, invested in the Google uh, ecosystem already, I put in a Google Nest Wi-Fi mesh network in my own home. Um, and every every nook and cranny of the home is now really well covered uh, with the benefit also that each, each Google Nest point is also a, kind of like a Google Home speaker and a Google Assistant that you can give voice commands to uh, and use as a... They also connect to each other as a connected speaker system whenever you want to play any music or audio or podcast or something. Um, and another benefit they have is you can uh, you can send voice uh, broadcast messages to them. So whenever I'm not in the home, uh, but I want to get my wife's attention and uh, and I know that she, she might not be next to her cell phone for whatever reason, I just say, okay, Google broadcast message. And whatever message I say gets broadcasted from all the Google Nest Wi-Fi points in the home uh, and definitely gets her attention that way. I love that. That that may drive my wife crazy if I tried it, but I think that would be fantastic. <laughs> Mohammed, I've been interested in, in mesh networks for a really long time. I, I've never actually set one up. Is there any tricks that you recommend for setting one up other than getting the nodes and, and the placement? Are there any... Um, I'm thinking, you know, cloud services that you have to work through or other pieces of software, or is it as simple as using kind of Google's walkthrough guide? Is it all fairly self-explanatory? It was incredibly simple in the case of Google. I don't know if uh, if there are other brands that have more complicated setup, 
There was no need for any cloud software or anything. Um, very, very simple setup. It was actually easier than setting up a router. Yeah, and even uh, uh, Eric, to your point, like I actually, uh, I'm with Telus for my internet and they provided us in the mail, they just sent us like their own kind of mesh network kit uh, that allowed us to go and just uh, amplify it. And so, you know, I think they gave us two extra units so then uh, I can go and cover the basement and then the second floor. Well, it's a good tip because, I mean, I live in a condo, so I mean, it's and the, and the router's in the middle of the condo, so I mean, and there's no metal in the walls that I can tell, so it's going everywhere. Yeah. But, you know, I can think of my parents' house or my in-law's place where if they're having trouble getting internet from, say, the basement to the top floor or something, that's really helpful. But if it's, I mean, it's good to know that it's easy to set up because I think uh, that may... That may be intimidating for some people who've never done it before, but that's a, that's a huge boon for people who are working from home for the first time. Definitely. Um, other things I would recommend having for your workstation at home. A lot of people think that if they want those uh, sophisticated looking workstations they see in movies with someone using multiple monitors and that sort of thing, that their their regular everyday laptop that they use probably doesn't work with that kind of thing and they need to go get some sort of sophisticated desktop uh, computer but uh, just a simple usb hub that's not very expensive will help you connect your laptop to a workstation just insert the usb and you get connected to the keyboard mouse and the wireless and the monitors and you have your workstation so that it's not it's not really complicated if you're used to using a laptop but at home you feel like you need a workstation um all it takes is a usb hub to attach it to all those other devices um I, i'm sure a lot of people know that already but for those that don't it's really not that hard um i've recently been noticing that a standing desk is really helpful for me because uh, I, we're sitting behind the computer a lot of meetings that previously required moving around, going to another place, location. We're all just behind the computer. So our sitting practices are worse than before. They were already bad in this uh, in this knowledge economy um, atmosphere, but it's getting worse. So uh, standing desk, I find, uh, really helped me uh, with, uh, with uh, health uh, benefits of, uh, that it brings. Um, a good headset is crucial, and I've been telling people this for a long time, and it's surprising how many people still uh, are, are working with not very good headsets uh, in this work-from-home environment. And it can be it can be annoying if, if, for example, you're in a call or in a group meeting with 10, 15 other people on a Zoom call. Uh, just one person's microphone, if, if it's bad, if it's if it's collecting a lot of noise. Uh, for example, if you're just relying on your own laptop's microphone, built-in microphone, it's very likely that your laptop also has fans and those fans will turn on and the noise will be excruciating. And if just one person in a 15 meeting, 15 person meeting has that noise issue, it's going to make the meeting um, pretty intolerable for everyone. So uh, that is a very important recommendation to get a, a headset, something that has a microphone and um, and a headphone uh, all attached. It's uh, I would recommend, um, yeah, a, a wired one works perfectly, but I think anything with wireless connectivity is also very handy. Uh, I can stand up, walk around, especially if you're a parent like me and you need to check up on uh, something from one, uh, once in a while. Uh, if you if you've lost childcare, like many people have because of COVID, uh, you you might find yourself needing to check check up on the kids from time to time. Um, it's important to have those um, wireless headsets. Uh, another thing with the the uh, gadgets that a, a lot of people don't know is that there are such things as open back headphones. I, I This was pretty new to me as well, even though I consider myself a tech savvy person, I did not know that there were such things as open back headphones. 
they're actually um, uh, the opposite of noise canceling, I guess. They, instead of trying to cancel external noise, they, they let the external environment noise uh, come in. And, and that's good for, again, when you're a parent and you need to have be sort of on, on call for possible emergencies that may happen in the home. Um, so I've been really enjoying uh, my open back headphone. Although I, I would say that I have been finding it hard to find a headset that has open back uh, headphones. My my open back headphone is not a headset. It's just uh, just a headphone just for listening. You make a good point about open back, and I, I like you. I don't. I've also looked for open back headsets, but that is very difficult to find because open back headphones were originally designed for people who did radio. So they could hear their own voice, uh, what they sounded like, which is very important for permittivity reasons, while also being able to listen. I have, I'm, I'm breaking my advice by having noise canceling headphones now because I don't have open back. But yeah, you're right. Cause getting a microphone with an open back is very difficult. I haven't been able to find a really, really good pair. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Another interesting thing I did, I haven't really used it as much as I thought I would, but maybe for some people who have a lot of meetings and not all of those meetings require them to be sitting behind a computer, this might be helpful. If you have a lot of meetings and not all of those meetings require sitting behind a computer, because often you need to sit behind a computer during the meeting because you need to take notes or you need to share a screen or something like that. Uh, that happens very often. But if you find yourself in a work environment where you have lots of meetings that don't necessarily need you to be behind, like close to your keyboard, uh, you just need to see the person and talk to them, um, then it might really be helpful to uh, use maybe a spare laptop you might have at home or uh, something to set up a webcam on top of your TV or close to your TV in some way. And, uh, have your meetings just sitting on the sofa and if you have a wireless headphone uh, you can definitely do that and that that's again for comfort with a lot of these meetings happening in the same environment just sitting behind your computer uh, sometimes it helps to really um, change things up and go sit on the sofa and have your meeting that way uh, and, and uh, something else I've noticed is that when people see you being more comfortable while you are in the meeting, they are more comfortable talking to you. That's some, it's a psychological saying that not a lot of people appreciate. Uh, when they see you in a more comfortable position, they're more comfortable talking to you about uh, more complex, extended topics. Um, because, uh, they don't, they don't feel like they're putting you in an uncomfortable position by lengthening the discussion. Um, so that's that's something to keep in mind. Um, uh, so those were some of the gadgets that I covered in my uh, blog post about uh, gadgets. I also had another one about the software tools uh, that I thought uh, I, I, I introduced some software tools that not a lot of people are aware of. Uh, one interesting thing we've seen for educators that um, is becoming more and more a requirement is uh, captions whenever they're recording a video or creating online content. Uh, this helps with accessibility. A lot of students have accessibility needs in terms of uh, requiring captions under a video. Um, and I find that among the different softwares for audio transcription that are out there. Uh, Otter.ai has been a really good one that I've used um, here and there. Uh, it probably does require some editing by a human once it's uh, captured the uh, voice and turned it into transcript, but um, it is a pretty good tool. Like It takes out the human effort by a large extent, maybe 80, 90%. Uh, to create captions uh, for your videos. Um, another nifty tool that uh, if you haven't tried it as an educator, I, I would recommend is Kahoot. Uh, it helps you create uh, kind of fun game-like experiences 
for different uh, quizzes and uh, and learning um, tools. Uh, so Kahoot spelled K-A-H-O-O-T dot com is a tool to look at. Um, other software tools that I've been uh, sort of recommending that people play around with are more like um, I call them generative technologies, and this comes this term comes from a, a Harvard law professor who's written a book about this. Um, generative technologies are technologies that just they can do a lot of things, and so when when you ask someone what can it do. They can't really give you a straight answer that it's 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 for this or that function because it just does so many different things. Um, an example of a generative technology is a spreadsheet. You can do that just there's so many things you can do with it that it's hard to really describe what can a spreadsheet do. Um, so there are different tools that I recommend uh, educators who are looking into um, getting themselves acquainted with some of the more recent technologies. There are some good generative technologies coming out. Well, they've been out for a while, but I think they're becoming more and more widely used, uh, and they might end up changing our lives the way spreadsheets have changed our lives. There's so many things are now being done by spreadsheets. If you're an educator, you're probably using spreadsheets to manage grades, to manage your class roster, uh, and, and various other uh, uh, sort of organizational tasks. So you might find other generative tools to be helpful for that as well. One generative tool that I really like, uh, the, mo the one I've discovered most recently, I suppose, is Coda.io. Uh, and and it's, it's a new category of tool that, uh, and there's a bunch of competitors now out for it as well, but a new category of tool for creating various kinds of dynamic documents. So think of creating like a, like a word file, except it's online and various elements of it can change dynamically. Um, for example, if, if in another file, someone, if you have the list of team members listed in, in your page, your coda.io page, and in another file, you manage the list of team members and you edit that, that other file, the list gets updated in your dynamic coda page. So that's the kind of, that's the kind of, um, dynamic aspect that these pages have. Um, you can use it for various organizational tools. You can use it to get students to publish their uh, assignments. Um, it, it it can be really helpful to play around. And and the thing with these generative technologies is just playing around. You have to play around to learn what are the different things you can do with it. Uh, and, and the things that you learn to do with it may not necessarily be things that anybody else has ever thought about because of, because they're generative. Even, even the company that made the tool may not have known that you could do what you discovered you could do uh, with the tool. It's interesting. I, I like this idea, this definition you posed of generative tools, because there's, like you, I found a few tools kind of in the realm of spreadsheets and so far that they can do lots of things, but I've always had trouble describing them. I've never had a term for it. So that's super helpful. It's one of the other things that I think about as a generative tool that I use uh, on the Mac, but also if you have an iPhone, is like a lot of the built-in automation. So, I mean, I've been using Mac Automator for years um, to create kind of applets and you can use that to create whatever you want. So a double click on one of my applets automatically makes a folder structure for a new project. So I don't have to do it manually um, on the iPhone. You know, you can download automate the, the shortcuts for Mac allows you to automate from the gallery, all sorts of shortcuts that are basically simplified. Uh, automation tools on the iPhone that then can be augmented with things like JavaScript. So tip calculators, all sorts of stuff. Um, you mentioned this coda.io. I've heard of this, but I didn't really understand what it was. But now that I've seen it, it reminds me of what 
I recently saw Microsoft advertise, which is this idea of this fluid office structure that they're trying to come up with, where they were trying to bring together spreadsheets and word into these dynamic documents because these things don't talk to each other very well i mean like you said if you have to cut and paste an image of a spreadsheet into a doc it doesn't it's not dynamic it doesn't automatically update there is another one which i can put in our chat too that you may be interested in because uh and chris and i are going to talk about in a later episode organizational tools in particular but there's one called uh, roamresearch.com which is a note-taking tool but a note-taking tool for networked thought. So the idea that you can, a lot of people store different things and different apps and ideas because those those tools that are specific are very good at doing one or two things, but they're not generative, like you said. But then this is kind of a generative mm. note tool where you can connect different ideas. And of course, it's all web-based. I like this idea. Do you think, Mohammed, that there's more resistance to using some of these generative tools than say specifics. I mean, spreadsheets is a good example, but I know that spreadsheets took decades for people to kind of get over the fear of using. It wasn't started till I doing my own budgeting as an adult that I realized that I could be good at Excel, right? I could automate stuff. But do you think that, is there a way you think that people can overcome some of the resistance to using these? Um, yeah. And I think, uh, I think some of the resistance is well-placed because a lot of these new software tools are web-based and they require you to put all your content that you make with them on the web. Uh, they are small companies. They might often, they, they might fail in five years uh, and they might, uh, then you might end up losing all the content you put on there and all the investment you put into um learning the tool so we as con as users always have to kind of judge the extent to which this company is reliable uh and which and and the extent to which our content is going to be reliable oh another problem is that sometimes they start up by providing free or really lucrative plans and then in a couple of years, they suddenly have an expensive cost structure and pricing plan in place, and suddenly you can't afford it anymore. So that's uh, there are things that we as end users have to always co constantly sort of guess and judge about the future of this company or future of this tool. Um, I like options where they let you keep a local copy of the content you have. So both, for example, Evernote and OneNote, the two note-taking tools that I use, uh, keep content locally as well as on the web. Uh, and that's, uh, that's a good feature for, for them to have. Um, other, other aspects of resistance, for example, there might be tools that only work with Mac or only work with PC. All your students have access to it too, but some of them have Mac, some of them have PC, and so you don't, you, know, you might be hesitant to use that kind of thing. So, cross-device compatibility is definitely uh, an issue to look at when you're choosing the tools to use. Um, another thing that I always talk about is, even though I'm a very tech-savvy person, I like to introduce new tools all the time to people. I always also warn them about overkill. Technology overkill can be a problem. You might be throwing too many tools at something. For example, if you're using OneNote already, there's probably a lot of things you can do with that, not just to take notes, but also for project management, uh, for the various uh, tasks. And if you have, if you're working on some relatively small project, then that's probably good enough and you don't you probably don't need to go out and spend money on a separate project management tool or like a team collaboration tool if you can just share a OneNote page. Uh, depending on the size of the project, uh, be careful about technology overkill um, and, and, and see if the, to, to, the tools you've already, uh, you already have access to, you've already paid for, can maybe do uh, some of the things that um, other tools other specific tools exist for. Do you have a, an analog um, component 
to note taking and some of the things that you do. I know I've I've always as much as I love tools like you, I also love pen and paper and high quality paper. I'm a bit of a pen. I've become kind of a pen nerd in that regard. But do you have kind of a an analog alternative that you also use in tandem? Huh, something analog. <laughs> Not really. I, I, I've been trying to get myself off pen and paper because I desperately depend on searchability. I don't remember what I wrote uh, where in some paper. But uh, putting pen to paper does help with um, the mental processing of uh, thought at the time of thinking. So if, uh, if, I, if I'm brainstorming something, I might use pen and paper but then i will make sure to quickly take a picture of that page or convert it to notes as, as quickly as quickly as i can because i i heavily depend on searchability and being able to archive my notes in a way that i can find them later um i i always have this constant fear of losing an important piece of thought or note that i wrote somewhere um, I mean, I want to make sure I always have them all electronically somewhere. Oh, that's a, that's a good point. And I'm kind of a obsessive on the capture mm -hmm. and tag area. So perhaps that's something that Chris and I'll have to talk about in a, a future episode, a way to uh, scan in your documents with your mobile device and tag them kind of a thing. Yeah, and that's getting more and more easier. I don't know if you've checked out, but with um, the Adobe Cloud, uh, there's uh, the PDF. Um, tool that you can go and just use and it's uh, fairly accurate even in terms of uh, you know how you're talking about um, the optical recognition uh, similar to like otter like it's getting better like it's not a hundred percent but it gets like probably 95 percent of the the things done and uh, another thing that's nice with the you know the, the tool that uh, Mohammed mentioned about otter is that you do get 600 minutes free uh, per month which is fairly you know, uh, good for a transcription service. Maybe we'll yeah. move on to our kind of final question. Uh, but um, uh, how do you think the, the COVID-19 pandemic will change higher education? And do you think that there'll be permanent changes going forward? Um, yeah, I think I think there will be some permanent changes, although the, the race for vaccine seems to be going on pretty quickly. And I think I think probably uh, maybe one year from now, uh, we won't have as much COVID concerns as we have right now. Uh, but in the next year, a lot of things are going to be online. And I think that will still cause a lot of permanent changes. Um, I think the, the biggest... Uh, mental shift for me at least as as one educator has been that the, the structure of class as we know it um, has been limiting our thinking in terms of what is the optimal way to learn or to teach um, but we in a lot of ways we've just been doing it that way because that's the way it was done um, and even a lot of us who knew that there were different technologies available um, still found it hard to break from those constraints. Um, I think uh, I think moving or transitioning to online learning, which a lot of us had to do because of COVID, um, one of the things it shows us is that it's not always optimal for content delivery to be synchronous. Um, and I know there are a lot of things that people hate about asynchronous and that it's not good for a lot of, uh, a lot of the ways that people teach. And I agree, but I think if you look at it in terms of a more granular approach and try to break up the content of your class to different micro elements you will realize that maybe for some of those micro elements an asynchronous approach is actually much better um, doesn't need to be synchronous um, and it also it helps everyone uh, the professor and the students in terms of their time flexibility 
uh, when they can consume certain content. Um, I, whenever I'm uh, on a on a road trip or driving, I find that a great time to listen to podcasts or audio material. Um, but none of us educators currently in the university, um, most of us don't produce asynchronous audio material as part of our uh, teaching. But I think, uh, but I think what COVID is teaching us is, hey, that's an option. That, that maybe some of the micro elements of your course will actually be really good fit for audio delivery, asynchronous audio delivery. Um, so I guess uh, for maybe a lot of educators, what they're just trying to do, just survive through COVID, you know, just the same lectures, just do it on Zoom. If that's the mentality, I guess they'll keep doing it maybe for one or two more terms, then things will get back to normal, they'll go back to their normal classes. But I think this is an opportunity for others who are more interested in actually trying to think outside the box, not wasting this opportunity to actually think about how we can do things differently to see if um, if technology has actually opened up new ways to learn and to teach um, and what we could do differently because of um, the tools available to us now. I mean, if, if you put in a lot of the effort that it takes to create online asynchronous material is actually very efficient. It's very hard the first time, and I've heard a lot of people nagging about how hard it is to record their content and yes it is pretty difficult that first time but then the amount of reusability you get out of one uh, recording uh is it actually makes it very efficient um and so i think a lot of us who do experiment more and more with different um, tools different delivery methods during this time of online focus uh, will be rewarded uh, in the end with um, with breakthroughs in terms of the way we teach and the way we learn. Well, that's that's a that's a I like that. That's a very positive note. I I think to highlight because I think a lot of people are like you said are perhaps panicking, but I think the reusability of that content is incredibly valuable. So I I think we could probably move on to our rapid fire questions. So these are our lighthearted, uh, lighthearted in spirit questions that we're asking all of our interviewees. And these may change over time, but right now we, we just have three. So Mohammed, I just ask these really quick. Uh, we just do quick answers, but you're welcome to give a, a broader explanation if you like. Uh, are you ready for the rapid fire question <laughs> section? Okay, I wasn't ready for this, but let's go. It's exciting. <laughs> it's okay. It's low stakes. So question <laughs> one, Mac or PC? PC, definitely. Okay. Question two, iPhone or Android? Android, definitely. Oh, and do you have a particular Android phone? Um, I pr Prior to my current device, I had a Google Nexus phone, and I was pretty happy with it. Now I have a Samsung S10 Plus. I'm pretty happy with this one as well. Um, uh, generally, uh, I, I would say app, Apple used to be leaps and bounds ahead of the Android options, but that's no longer the case. Um, and, and the top flagship Android phones are really good these days, um, especially with all the different uh, software tools that Google puts into them. I think they're very competitive and, and, and the way that it fits to the ecosystem of other Google tools just really helps me. That's an excellent point. I think they are very well, especially if you're a Google campus, they're very well integrated, right? Okay. So you kind of alluded to this last one, but standing or sitting desk? <laughs> I find that most of the time I'm sitting, but if you have a standing desk, it can be really helpful at crucial times. Like uh, the other day I had some chest pain that just wasn't going away. Um, and, and my wife says, 
said to me that I, th I think it's because of the way that you've been sitting uh, behind your desk. And I quickly moved to standing, just two days of standing, uh, and the chest pain immediately went away. Um, so at crucial times, it's been really healthy, helping me. Um, and I, I guess uh, I should just, I probably should push myself to use it more standing. But it's great to have that option. Well, that is the three rapid fire questions. We may expand this. So I told, I, I, I think I was true to my promise that it was low stakes. Right. And that's pretty much what we have uh, for you today, Mohammed. Now, thought, is there anything? I thought, is there, I thought you were going to ask uh, Star Trek or Star Wars. Oh, that's a good one, though. <laughs> we're going to add that now. <laughs> yes, if you have ideas for future uh, rapid fire questions for uh, future people that you want to see succumb to these, then please uh, feel free to suggest them. Mohammed, is there anything I, we, we talked about the curated list of your website? Is there anything in particular, a, a website, a tool, a platform or something that you'd like to plug that we could put in the show notes of this podcast? I, I guess the, um, the the link to the directory itself would be great. To, it's entrepreneurtools.zeef.com. If you just search for entrepreneur tools, um, you'll find it as one of the first results that come. I think the University of Calgary has some pretty good resources. Maybe TFDL uh, has a good resource website. Uh, and, and maybe a, a link to those would be helpful for, for other people as well. Definitely. Yeah. The, the Teaching and Learning Institute at the University of Calgary is, is awesome. So with that, uh, I'd just like to thank you so much for taking the time to be interviewed for this podcast. I mean, it's been fascinating to hear about the tools that you've curated, why you curated them, and just your experience. I, I do really appreciate it. Thank you so much. This was a really good interview. I, I the, the way that you get interviewed, uh, really makes a difference in the information that comes out and the way that it helps other people. So I think this was a pretty good, productive and helpful interview. Thank you. Yeah, guys no, for, for sure. No, thank, thank you, you. Mohammed. For more information about EdTech Examined, visit edtechexamined.com. If you have tech questions you'd like us to answer, you can reach us at our email, hey, at edtechexamined.com. You can also find us on Twitter, at edtechexamined. Tag your posts with the hashtag edtechofficehours and we might feature your question on a future episode. Until next time.